Jesus, we thank you for all the wonderful people in this room, how you have touched each of our hearts and you have brought us out of the world and into your light and you have washed us clean and picked us up when we were hurt and you have healed us in our hearts and in our spirit. Lord, you have done great work already. And Lord, I pray that you would continue that work and you would help us to dive off a diving board of of fear and worry and dive into your swimming pool of love and obedience and just all that you have for us. I pray that we would take that risk today. Help us. Lord, encourage us and woo us by your spirit. Help us to trust that you will catch us and you will be with us and that your word is to each and every one of us today. Amen. Amen. Like I said, we're closing our study of this book today, and I think the best way to close this book out is to ask a piercing question. All right, so you guys ready? This is my bow and arrow question to pierce right through you. How much of your life are you willing to live by faith? How much of your life are you willing to live by faith? Over the course of our study today, and over the past 20 weeks that we've been studying this book, our prayer is that we will be choosing to increase our surrender every day. That every day as we study this book and as we walk with the Lord and even through our sermon today, that you would just make decisions that a little bit more today, I'm going to trust him with a little bit more of my life. I'm going to grow. You know, the Lord, he knows that you guys are immature when we first start following the Lord, when we first start following the Lord. He knows that we have a long way to go. He knows that we trip up and we fall and we make mistakes. And he is fine with it because he calls us to grow in faith, to learn how to surrender more of our life to him every day. And your life matters. I'll say that again. Your life matters. Every single part of your life matters. Where you go for coffee matters. What you watch at night to fall asleep matters. What you think about at every part of your life matters. And at the end, you're going to be judged for loving people. Like if you loved people with your life. God is love. And so a godly life is a life that loves other people as well. And loving each other is the main purpose of all these, these thinking lessons that we've done, all these how to think this way and how to everything that we've studied through this book. Paul has been teaching us how we get our mind right so that we can love other people. When we have our mind thinking that it's us against them, we have a really hard time loving them because they're our enemies which is how politics ruins Christians. It's not us against them. It's me required to love them. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe or who they vote for, I'm required to love them. That's how thinking, changing our thinking can change who we are. and It helps us greatly. A godly life follows this transformation of thinking and, and so our thought life being centered on Jesus makes us loving people. It makes us people who are willing to lay our lives down, pour our lives out for 
all the people around us. And when we live this godly life, a strange thing happens. You become truly, madly, deeply content. I wasn't just quoting Savage Garden for no reason. (laughs) We become strangely content, pouring our lives out, serving, not even being recognized, but there's this weird contentment. You're okay with your life and, and your place in the world. You're okay with your trials and your troubles. You're okay with your job and your family. A strange and unexplainable peace chases after those who live godly lives, who let God take over their thinking, who let the word of God transform the way they think, this weird contentment and peace chases you. It like won't let you down or it won't let you run away. It chases you down. In the fifth century, there was a man named Irenaeus and he determined to live a holy life. So he abandoned all the comforts of Egyptian society. He lived there in Alexandria And he wanted to follow this ascetic life out in the desert. So, but he wasn't the weird ones that stayed there and and never came into the city. He would actually come into the city and visit the, the market and the city. And he spent time wandering through the bazaars. And when asked by the the his people and the people following him why he would do that, he explained that his heart rejoiced at all the sight of all the things that he didn't need. Those of us who live um, in a society flooded with goods and gadgets need to ponder the example of this desert dweller. A typical supermarket in the United States in 1976 had 9,000 items. Today... Walmart has 142,000 different items in every store. So our text for today, we get now to Philippians 10, uh, 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord, Paul says, greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Paul says here, I've seen God work in your lives already, and I'm trusting him to complete that work. And my troubles are not just about me, Paul says, but they're about you. God has brought tough times into my life for you. What a godly attitude that Paul has. Why did I get in a car wreck this week? Wow, this is a pain for me. Maybe it's not about you at all. Maybe the Lord wants someone else to see you and and wants them to be motivated because of their love for you and he's going to put it into their heart to bless you or to minister to you. Yes, I know you just got in a car accident. I was vaguely referencing that. These, when we go through trials, they give us an opportunity, but they also give other people opportunities 
and us all to be in, uh, this opportunity to be part of the bigger body of Christ. So he says, thank God in your trials, for your trials. And pray that God would use them for his glory. You know, it's okay to let brothers and sisters know about your troubles. Nobody in here is, needs to live as an island. Nobody in here needs to hide the hard things they're going through. Not in worry. Not like you need to share everything so that we all worry about your problems. But in faith. Saying, I've gone through this and I don't know what it's all about. And so I'm going to express it to you so that we can pray together and maybe the Lord will work something out among us all. That's what my, that prayer request thing is on the app. You know, I, I, we put that, we made the app so that on all your phones, we got the white flag app and there's a little button. All you got to do is type in a quick prayer request and send it off. I'm not going to gossip about them. They come straight to me and I will pray for you and we'll just see what the Lord does. So I would be encouraged if you guys would send me more prayer requests. I really would. It would help me to know how to pray for you. I mean, I pray for you guys, but I would love more connection with you. Verse 11, he says, Now, not that I speak in regard to need, I don't need something from you, Paul says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to read a poem to you. Oh, so cultured, I know. He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. I am content with what I have, little be it or much. And Lord, contentment still I crave because thou savest such. That was written by John Bunyan. In faith... I can be content, but I can never be content if I don't trust God and God's plan for my life. Think about it. Every time that we struggle with contentment, the real issue is we think God messed up somewhere in our life. God, you weren't watching out for me. I got in a car wreck. I am not content. God, you weren't watching out for me. Now my boyfriend's a jerk. Now my spouse doesn't get me. My boss is mean to me. Or worse things. This person died, Lord. I can gladly accept my state that God has placed me in. I can joyfully say that God will not leave me or forsake me, even though it might look like it, through Faith. Faith is the thing that makes that possible. And you say, well, that's stupid to say that you just believe that God is always doing everything right. I mean, look at your life. It's a mess. Okay. Okay. If you want to call that stupid, okay. I understand. I get it. The world thinks it's foolishness to trust an invisible God. To trust that God, who is in charge of everything, has chosen to let messed up things happen in our lives. Why would you trust him then? These are very good questions. It is not something that comes naturally. It has to be learned. As we walk with the Lord, as we 
come to him first by faith and we learn that Jesus, what he did for us, then we start to grow in learning how to trust him. It's an ongoing experience that we go through. We, and it, it, it has to be experienced, this growing process. Paul looked at his suffering that he's going through. And anyone know where Paul's at as he's writing this letter? He's in prison, shackles on, shackled in Caesar's household. He's got, he's got guards with him all the time. He is not in a comfortable place. And he looked at his suffering as a learning experience because Paul had humility. So many times people in our day respond to suffering with bitterness. What do they say? This is unfair. This is not how my life's supposed to be. This is not what a politician promised me. We think it's unfair when we go through hard times. Anyone ever thought that? This is unfair. Why do I have to have the one husband in all the world who likes football? Why do I have to have the one wife who cares about a clean house? I didn't do anything to deserve this more seriously. And I'm not going to follow a God who causes me pain. We hear that, don't we? That's in our hearts. Not all the time, maybe. But some of us, it's big in our hearts. Imagine a football player. I love football. So imagine a football player complaining like this about his practices. Why do we have to go through the same plays over and over? Why do I have to run these sprints? Why, why? He would be cut faster than you can say Trevor Simeon. They have no time for someone who doesn't want to get better, right? And the Lord is growing us. He's teaching us. Our God is so patient. Because we complain all the time, don't we? Our hearts are just full of complaining. If we would look to him in faith with our suffering, man, he would use it to grow us, grow our faith and our faithfulness. Our love would increase. Hmm. Paul says now in verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and how to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So, um, most of us have been poor at one time in our life or another, right? Poor. Some of us have abounded, had everything that we needed and more. Well, there is a right way to abound and a wrong way. The right way is with thankfulness and with humility and giving, with faith and with Jesus. There's a right way to suffer need. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're more godly which is a kind of a thought out there in the world. Just because you're poor means you're better than a rich person. It's not true. There's a right way to suffer need. And Paul, he learned the right way to suffer. That is, with thankfulness, humility, receiving, with faith, and with Jesus. Same way as abounding, except instead of giving, you're on the receiving end of God's work. So, 
it's almost better to be poor because you're on the receiving. You, you're the receiver. God will use his body to help you, to bless you. Anyway, verse 13 now is where we get to. It's a real key verse in everything that we're looking at today. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you guys heard that verse before? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys have it tattooed on their arm or, you know, it's on like Steph Curry's like active faith like shirts and on some shoes and I don't know, it's on like every cheesy Christian mug. I can do all things with coffee. <clears throat> But the context of what he's talking about here is, a, is being able to abound and to suffer need. And anything in between. So these are all outward circumstances in our lives. And so I want you to understand this very clearly. This is not a verse about changing your world to suit your desires. It is not a verse. God bless you, James. This is not a verse about changing your circumstances to be better, to be more comfortable. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so I can get a better job. I can marry a better person. I can... Wait a second. Wait a second. No, that is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about being content in the place that God has you and glorifying him in the situation he's put you in. But this situation's awful. I don't like being in this situation. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's what this verse is. You can honor God in your situation. Oh no, you don't know my situation. It is so hard. No. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. This is a very important verse, but not for playing basketball. Not for kicking the field goal that's impossible. Not for changing your life. It's about accepting your life, which is an internal battle. It's an internal struggle that we all have. So it's a very important verse for every single one of us to honor God in our heart, not try to get out of our situations. Amen. Don't say the word divorce. Say, I can do all things through Christ. Don't say, I quit. Say, I'm going to honor God by serving you, horrible boss. In love. Maybe don't call him horrible. You might think it, but... Many people, you know, get this verse on their coffee cups and their tattoos, and I fear they're just using Jesus to change their world. Like they just want to live their best life now. But if you don't like your life, they would say, just use this verse to change it. I can do all things, right? I want to be comfortable. I want to be popular. I want to be rich. Yes, I can do all things. And this is a major heart sickness. It's a heart that needs to surrender to God's will first. Then commit to honor him right where you are. Then you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Okay? So there, there's a way that we do it. First, we surrender to everything that God would have for us. Then we commit to honor him 
in that situation, then we can do all things. That's how to live by grace. That's how to live with humility and faith. That's how this whole thing works. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about accepting your circumstances and glorifying God in them. Receiving from Jesus himself what you need to do the right thing in the midst of your circumstances. When I was uh, working at Calvary Aurora, I did a lot of marriage counseling. In, in most of that marriage counseling, um, they were in some hard times. Like the marriages were rough and there had been unfaithfulness or they, were just, they just weren't getting along and it was rough. And many times I would bring up this verse and it was very easy to tell who had faith in the Lord. Because we'd kind of talk about this a little bit and then I would say, God can use you right now in this marriage if you'll commit to loving this person no matter how they act. If you'll commit to honoring them, wife, respecting him, husband, loving her, if you will do your instructions, your part, God will strengthen you, equip you, and bless your marriage. You're coming to church for help. This is the help we have. Jesus can help you. Jesus can fix it. He can. And I could tell real quick who trusted the word of the Lord by who said, okay, I'll do it. I don't believe you, pastor, but if Jesus says that he'll help me, I'll believe it. Versus the person that would say, you're crazy. I'm not going to treat this person with love? Do you see how they're treating me? Do you see their, how they're acting towards me? Do you see what they've done? It was very easy to see. Faith is what makes this powerful. It's what makes it work. And it still works today in the same way. We commit to honor him in the situations that we're in, even though they're tough. We must learn to go to Jesus first with our needs before we try to change our circumstances. We don't have to change our circumstances. We can allow God to change our circumstances. We just come to him and say, Lord, wow, you have put me in a doozy of a situation. So how... You know what? I know how. I can't. I can't love this person. I can't stay here. I can't do what's right. But Jesus, I will trust you. I will come to you and you say I can do all things, so I can. I will wake up in the morning and I will do his laundry. I will say loving things. I will be patient. I will forgive when there's no ask of forgiveness. I will do what's right because I trust you, Jesus, that you will equip me and enable me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He did not make a mistake in your life. He didn't. None of it is a mistake. The person dying was not a mistake. Your awful spouse was not a mistake. Your crazy kids were not a mistake. It's not a mistake. 
He has yet to ever make a mistake. If there was ever one person we could trust, it's who? God. Jesus. Yes, right answer. Bible answer. Ten points. More than that, he has promised to be with you and always provide what you really need through this thing called grace. And that's what we talk about all the time. It's what we teach all the time. Grace is God's promise to give you what you need to honor him. To do what's right no matter what trial it is. To give glory to God in the middle, in the midst of a trial or in the midst of suffering. That's what grace is. There is a teaching out there in the church that says grace is you just get off the hook for everything. And you can act like an idiot in your marriage and at work. And God says, oh, grace to you. That is not grace. That's false teaching. God says, no, live your life right. Honor me and I'll equip you to do that. Make the decision in your heart. I'm going to come to Jesus and ask him for the grace to do what's right. That's how it works. And it's through Jesus. That's how grace works. It's through Jesus. It's not about you. You can't earn grace. You don't deserve grace. And you don't just magically get grace either by showing up at church, by calling yourself a Christian or being an American. None of those things. Or who you vote for. None of those things get you grace. It is given to those who come to God in humility and ask for it in faith. That's what through Jesus means. You come to God in humility and you ask him in faith. This is the system that God has established. It's a, it's a covenant. In fact, it's called the new covenant. The nursery workers have grace right now to do what's right and love. So the all things that, that is mentioned here, all I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the all things that's mentioned here are things that honor God. Nothing else. Not make the basketball shot. I mean, there's Christian movies out there that use this verse like it's some magic words of hit the field goal or whatever. And what does it look like to honor God? It looks like the Ten Commandments. God desires for you to follow those. They are good, but we cannot do them on our own. So God provides Jesus for us to actually perform them. When we abide in Jesus, when we ask him for his power or grace, in humility, we are equipped to do all that God wants us to do. The Ten Commandments. The same ones that seem so impossible to the natural man. In fact, they are so impossible. The first people that got them, well, we'll study that when we get into Exodus in a while. They failed right at the beginning. We fail all the time when trying to do it in our own strength. But the Ten Commandments are just natural to the spirit-filled man living by God's grace. This is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant said, here's the list of Ten Commandments, do them. The New Covenant says, here's the list of Ten Commandments, Jesus did them. You ask him, engage with him, receive his grace, and you can do them too. Because his life gets poured into you and it's just natural for him to do them. 
Look how it worked out in the Philippians' lives. Back in our text here, verse 14. They could do all things through Christ. Paul could do all things through Christ. Look how it looked. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you, did, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The Philippians, they gave and gave some more. This is how they showed that they could do all things through Christ who strengthened them, is they gave. They did what was right, even when it was difficult or even impossible. They had a supernatural ability called grace, or being spirit-filled, or living a godly life, whatever you want to call it, they gave and gave. They poured out. They held nothing back. God is so crazy good to us, too. Look what happens. We can't do anything right, so he sends his son to live in us and through us and to die for us. And then when we actually do something right, through his son, he rewards us like we did it. His Holy Spirit told us what to do. Then his Holy Spirit empowered us to do it. Then he keeps track of it and rewards us for it. How good is God? It's just awesome. He's like a father who just sets up his kid for success. I remember a couple years ago, I was playing Mario Brothers with James. We were playing Mario Brothers, remember? And we were at the very end beating the big boss, Bowser. And he's the big Bowser too, like the one that's like the whole screen. And, and you were playing, and then you said, Dad, can you beat him for me? And I took it, and I did my video game stuff, and I beat him. And then I handed it to you right at the end so that you could stomp on his head and win all of Super Mario's and rescue the Princess Peach. and It was all good. So our father is like that. He sets us up for success. He knows you can't do anything right. So he says, come to me and I will equip you and reward you for doing what's right. In verse 19, a wonderful verse, a verse we should all memorize. It says, and my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So good. Since there is no lack in the God's riches and glory, we should anticipate there would be no lack in his supplying us. God's grace is more than enough for you to depend on. It's more than enough for you to believe in and put your trust in. The need we have here that's mentioned here uh, that, that they had was specifically money. Money. Did you know grace is sufficient for your money needs? The, the Philippians here gave most of their money to Paul's ministry out of their love for him. They didn't worry about their own needs. They loved him so much, they put themselves in harm's way to honor God and do what was in their heart, what the Holy Spirit put in their heart. They surrendered to the Lord. They said, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And if, if you put it in my heart to give all of this to Paul's ministry, I'm going to do it. And Paul said, awesome. You held nothing back. 
And so my God will supply everything you need. It's a promise. And the practical mind doesn't understand this. It does not compute. It's certainly not the way that evolution works. Love does not work with evolution. You can't believe in evolution and also believe in love at the same time. Love values the weak and the lowly, while evolution says survival of the fittest. Only the best and the strongest deserve to live. This is how Hitler got his whole thing going. Truly. In addition to being totally unscientific, it's a, it's a theory incompatible with Christian love. Or even the idea of love doesn't work. And I don't care if an unbeliever believes in it. They used to think the world floated on the back of a turtle. Their beliefs change with the wind. But Christians have no business believing evolution. It nullifies the reason for Jesus. Jesus came for the weak. He came for those who could not do it on their own. Not survival of the fittest. Survival of the loved. In the Philippians, they gave their livelihood to Paul out of love. They gave all they had so that the work being done by Paul could continue. How could they do this? How could they not hold anything back? Well, they believed that God would supply all their needs, their physical needs, their spiritual needs, anything. How could they have such confidence in God? Well, they had already proved that they were surrendered to his will. They had held nothing back. They considered their life forfeit to God. They gave all that was in their hearts to give. And that's what the Holy Spirit told them to give. He spoke through the desires of their heart as they spent time in the word, as they surrendered to God's will. They, they knew that they could trust what God was putting in their heart to do. A lot of people come to me and say, how do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what my gift is? How do I know where to serve the Lord? I can't tell you. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you. Well, how do I know if I'm hearing the Holy Spirit's voice? Great question. Read the word and surrender to the Lord in your heart. Surrender. Say, I will do whatever you ask me to do. Serious. Anything. Serious. You want me to give my house to someone? I'll do it. That kind of surrender. I will give my retirement. I will, I will quit my job. I will do whatever you want me to do, Holy Spirit. Then, in that attitude and heart of surrender, you are in a safe place to do what you desire. The Holy Spirit plants desires in your heart. Do you think he would let his child say, Lord, I totally surrender to you, and then I have the desire to... to um, serve you in this way, and it's kind of crazy. I don't, man, okay, so I'm going to do it, and then the Lord would just let him fail and say, ha, ha. No. Our Father takes our, our surrendered hearts, and he guides them. And well, let's say you did have a crazy idea, and you just gave everything to some, and it wasn't God. God is perfectly able to redirect you, to redirect you or to just bless you anyway. He is not so concerned about the thing that you're doing as he is about your heart being surrendered to him. 
That's what's so good about our God and following him. There is no pressure for you to figure out the thing you're supposed to do. Just surrender to the Lord, spend time in his word, seeking him, and then do what's on your heart. That's how the Philippians had such confidence. Paul says, you know that God's going to provide everything. Even though you gave everything to me, the Holy Spirit did that. And so God will not be a debtor to any man. He'll give it back to you. He will bless you. They surrendered to his will and to his leading. They demonstrated humility and faith. And now they're thrust into the working of the new covenant. It works. When you're holding nothing back, your only hope is the goodness and faithfulness of God. That's all you can put your hope in, your trust in. And that's a great place to be. And you're like, I don't want to be there because it's scary. And I know, but that's why we have to grow to love it there. It's an exciting life. There is nothing more exciting than following Jesus because he might tell you to move to Africa. And you might get malaria. And you might lose everything you have. And God will reward you a billion times more. It will be okay because he loves you. He will reward you. This is the secret to being content. Stop thinking you know what's best for your life and trust your Father, which is faith. Faith is the answer. Faith is all you need. Does God reject someone that comes to him in total dependence? I should hear a louder answer. No, he can't. It's contrary to his name and nature. If he would do that, there would be a giant explosion in the universe and every atom would explode because God would cease to be God and it would be like seeing a past version of yourself in future, whatever. Back to the future, right? Okay. No, God clearly proclaims and he teaches, I will give grace to all who come who call upon me in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. He will give grace. So the Philippians lived with this confident assurance that God would supply their needs. Would you turn with me real quick to 2 Kings 4? Were they really more needy after they gave their money? That's a good question. On the outside, yes, they were out of money. But the reason they gave their money is because they already understood how rich they were spiritually. And they actually became rich and sufficient spiritually the moment they let go of their earthly securities. Are you trusting in your bank account? Do you feel okay because I got a couple zeros in my bank account? God's work does not disappoint. His grace does not fail. His riches are lavished on us at every point we decide to live with faith in. Whatever area of your life, you'll decide, I'm going to trust the Lord in this area. He will bless you. You don't believe me? Just try to live by faith. Test it. Try it. How many areas of your life are you going to live by faith in? You get to choose. And blessing is there for you. God's going to love you no matter what you choose, no matter what you do. But he wants to reward you and he desires to give you this grace and this grace is available. So why not give more? 
Why not hold nothing back? He desires to fulfill you. He will not be a debtor to any man. If you give it, he'll give it back to you. In 2 Kings one, uh, 4, verse 1 through 7, there's this awesome story. And we're going to come back to the story in a couple weeks. Our next uh, series that we're going to do is called The Miracles of Elisha. So instead of doing a book, we're going to kind of travel through 2 Kings. Um, and we're going to spend some time looking at the miracles of Elisha. And just a, a hint, there's over 16 miracles of Elisha. So we're going to be looking at those for quite a while. But this is one of them. We're going to look at it. But for today, it's a good illustration for us. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Well, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather, just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into the vessels, all the vessels, and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your son shall live on the rest. Our, all of our need, when we pour out our life, is like the empty vessels. And the, the, the man of God here, he says, set out your empty vessels. You, you got this life and you got needy areas, you got problems, you got areas you need to be filled. Set them out before God. And God is the one who fills these empty vessels, just like the verse we read. My God shall supply all your need through Jesus Christ. And he says, according to the riches of his glory, describes the style in which God fills these empty vessels. The oil just keeps flowing until every vessel is filled. She had one jar, this miracle, it fills all the jars. That's how Jesus works too. Once you tap in, and once you start receiving from him, he does not stop until you're full, until you're completely taken care of. Every area that you will open up to him, you get to pick what areas you're going to live by faith, what areas you want to have empty or full. And by Jesus Christ determines how God meets our needs. They're filled up with Jesus' own life and his glory. How many areas of your life are you willing to live by faith? How many empty vessels are you going to bring to the Lord to fill up? How many times will you be empty before God so that he can fill you with the oil of the Holy Spirit. A lot, of, a lot of us look around at our vessels in our house and we're like, hey, well, I filled this one up with my talents. I filled this one up with my hard works. I filled this one up with being an American. I filled this one up with... And we fill our vessels up with junk. God says, empty them out and bring them to me so that they can be filled with the pure oil of the Holy Spirit. 
He can't fill you up if you're proud of being an American. He can't fill you up if you're proud of your abilities. It's, it's already full. He just tries to pour the oil in and it just splashes over the top because you won't empty them out. So how do we hold nothing back? We have to empty our marriage. God, I got nothing. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I can only do it through you. My job, I got to bring that vessel to the Lord empty. My mornings, I got to bring that vessel empty. My lunches, I got to bring that vessel empty. My evenings, oh, I, I, I hold my evenings. I reserve them for myself and my me time. It's full. How can God fill it up? if you will not surrender it empty before the Lord. My, my relationships, oh man, God can't do anything in that relationship. I'm not going to humble myself to love that person. Have you seen, do you know what they've done to me? Jesus is very clear on how to treat people. Love them. Love them. Our relationships, this is the, where most of our vessels come from, is these relationships. Treat them how you want to be treated, he would say. Give, Give them the truth and love. In Luke 6.38, I'll read it to you. It says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running oil will be put into your bosom, your heart. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Pour your life out for others. That's what the point of this book is. Get your thinking right so you can love others. God will reward a loving life. God will see what's done in secret and he will reward you openly. God says, love the least of these. Love your wife, love your children, people who can't pay you back. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and see, are you holding anything back? Or are you living a life that is doubting him? I can't, I can't do that. Your life matters, every part of it. You're, you, uh, you, 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 you have people to love and to minister to. You do. And I can't minister to the people that you can. I cannot go throughout this city all through the week. I can't go minister to the guys at the plant. I, all your jobs, your missionaries there, you have people to love. And your life matters. Your life matters. You can, you can and will be used by God if you'll bring those empty vessels to him, he will supply all your needs and you can do all the loving things that Jesus puts in your heart. Now he closes the book with this. He says, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. One of the, I, love, I love that verse, those who are of Caesar's household. See, Paul, he's in this big trial. God has it put him in jail, and he's, he's over there in Rome, and he's, he's in prison. And he, just, he sends this like beacon out at the end of the letter saying, I am being a missionary and loving the, the guards that are chained to me and that are in charge of whipping me and stuff. I'm loving them, and they're getting saved. This is how you do it. Go to jail for the Lord. I don't care. You can be used. It can be just another empty vessel. 
Like, okay, so what if the, our country changes in the next little bit and they decide to persecute us or they decide if being a Christian is an offense that you can go to jail or you can't be a Christian? What are we going to do? Are we going to fight for political change or are we going to be a light and love Jesus? We have to choose that first. It doesn't matter what happens with our government. I was talking to the brother, countries fall all the time. About 200 years and they're done, right? Well, yeah. It happens. It might happen to us. Who knows? North Korea could invade tomorrow. We'd all be speaking North Koreanese by the end of the week. Who knows? But we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to bring our empty vessels to him. And, and maybe this is much more deep and personal and practical than our country. Maybe it's more of your marriage. And you've got to bring it in. And say, I, Lord, I need you. I want to do what's right. I want to do all things through Christ's strength me. I know I can if I'll come and commit to doing the right thing in humility and faith. We've gone a long time today. I'm sorry for taking so long. But we're done with Philippians. Woo!